Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Good morning, church. In the 18th century, that's the 1700s, Jake. A phenomenon occurred in Europe uh, called the Enlightenment. It was also called the Age of Reason, and it had a profound effect in Europe, not only in Europe, but the rest of the world. Academics, religion, politics, daily life was never the same after the Enlightenment or Age of Reason. And at its core, the Enlightenment valued human reason over against faith in God. Now, we owe a lot to the Enlightenment for many blessings that we enjoy today. Our lives were blessed with advancements in mathematics and physics in the field of medicine. And uh, we have a lot to thank the Enlightenment for. But a byproduct of the Enlightenment was that it led to the secularization of life, even for Christians. The number of books published about science and art from 1720 to 1780 doubled, while the number of books published about religion fell to 10% of the whole, which was a large decrease. And so the Enlightenment led to this deistic view of God, um, which actually many of our forefathers of this country had, which meant God created the world, kind of put it in motion, and then left us alone. So God could no longer be found in our daily lives here on earth. And while... In general, Christians today don't have this deistic view of God. Um, Since the Enlightenment, prayer time has diminished. Since the Enlightenment, we don't include God as much in our decision making. And we don't talk about God in sort of normal, everyday conversations as much. This kind of faith, a faith that I'll admit um, kind of defined my life. For quite a while. Um, And this kind of faith uh, is far different than the faith that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says that it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The development and the confidence in human reason moved the Christian's faith away from the reliance and the listening to God to the separation of one's faith and one's daily life. When you make decisions from the commonplace decisions like, what am I going to eat today? What time am I going to get up? To the more complex, like, where am I going to work? Where am I going to live? Who am I going to marry? Who are you listening to for guidance? Are you listening to your own will? Are you listening um, to your friends, to your family? Or are you listening to God? Are you listening to human reason 
or are you listening to God? Sometime today or this week, I encourage you to do a little bit of an exercise and sort of just reflect back on your life and think about the ways that God has been active in your life, in your past, and what he is currently doing right now. If you do this exercise and you find it a little bit difficult to find God in your life, then it might mean that you haven't been listening to God enough in your life. The Apostle Paul interpreted his entire life from the commonplace to the complex to be in God's hands. Today, we might find it difficult to discover what God is doing in our lives. But remember, it is God who is at work in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So how does God do this? How does God work in your life? Um, In school, where I attend school, uh, Harding School Theology, they teach uh, the art of exegesis. And despite how this word sounds, it really has nothing to do with Jesus, our Lord and Savior. As you can see, it's spelled completely different. Exegesis is the art of exploring a text or a sentence and drawing out what was meant by what was said or what was written. So, for example, if I was to say, I'm mad about my flat. Well, what does that mean? It could, I could be saying something very positive about my apartment. I could be saying something very negative about my vehicle. Or I might be talking about a shoe. But I didn't mean to talk about an apartment, a shoe, and my vehicle all with one sentence. I only meant one thing. So determining what I meant when I said I'm mad about my flat is using exegesis. Okay? And usually the term exegesis is associated with Scripture, the Bible. um, And it's associated with drawing what is God trying to tell us in the Scripture, in this book. What is the meaning um, that the Apostle Paul or Jesus uh, is saying behind this text? Now, it is very important to apply exegesis to Scripture. But it is also very important to apply exegesis to our very lives to determine what is God doing in me? What is God doing in our lives? So today, this morning, I hope to um, help you out a little bit in, in determining what God is doing in your life, how to determine that, how to exegete that meaning out of your life. So, I've got a few ways that you can do that. The first way, you might see this coming, prayer and scripture. Time spent with God. Um, My wife, Alicia, and I, if we never talk, if we never communicate, you could hardly say that we're active in each other's lives at all. You could hardly say that there's any relationship if we don't talk, if we don't listen, if we don't communicate. The same goes with God. You have to give God your full attention if you want to see how he's going to work in your life. 
A couple of weeks ago, my wife, Alicia, and I, we went to this restaurant to eat dinner, of course. And um, the waitress sat us down, and we were looking at the menu, and it was so loud in this restaurant that we couldn't talk. We couldn't have a conversation. Same thing has probably happened to you. I think, for whatever reason, restaurants want it to be loud in their dining rooms. It's, a, it's like a marketing strategy. I don't know why it works. So we asked the waitress, we said, hey, it's a beautiful day outside. Can we sit outside? She's like, okay, sure. So she took us outside, and the table where we were at was completely alone. There was a bunch of tables, but we were the only ones on the outdoor veranda. We had it all to ourselves on this gorgeous night. So we could actually communicate with one another. That's what you have to do in your relationship with God. You have to separate yourself from the noise, the stress, all the distractions, and spend time with God alone. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples about prayer. He says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. The concept of a prayer room, a war room, did not originate in a Hollywood script like the movie. It originated with Jesus. And I know that a few of you have a war room, a prayer room, a place where you go to communion with God to get away from the distractions. And I would love to hear your stories about how you have felt God's presence and his will for your life since designating a special spot, quiet spot, away from all the distractions. I'd love to hear those stories sometime. So eliminating the distractions is important in human relationships, and it's especially important in relationship with God because it involves not only talking, but listening, especially Listening. I think that's why Jesus, in the scripture that I just read, rebuked the pagan prayers for their long, lengthy, wordy prayers. Jesus says, hey, you got two ears, one mouth. What do you think is appropriate? And also scripture. In addition to prayer, time spent in God's word is a form of communication with God. Recently, you might have seen a Facebook post. I saw it. It said something like, if you see a Bible that's completely worn out, it probably belongs to somebody who's not. I like that. I think that's good. So, Scripture and prayer, if you dedicate your life to those things, you will begin to discern God's will for your life. Now, you might be saying, John, that sounds wonderful. But I don't have room in my house to designate a prayer room all to myself. And I don't have 15 minutes in a week, much less every day, to spend time with God. 
Well, it's so important. You might think about getting up early in the morning. But you know what else? God shows up in the common places in life. So spend time with him while you're folding laundry, while you're washing the dishes, while you're mowing the lawn, while you're taking a shower. These are times when you can commune with God. You can get some alone time with God. Another way that you can exegete your life and find God working in your life is right here in the community of believers, the church. Throughout the Bible and throughout history, we find that God works through his people to achieve his will. He works through his people to help other people. There are only a few exceptions In general, that's the way God operates. God doesn't rescue Israel out of Egypt without Moses. And he uses Joseph and Daniel and Ruth and Esther and Rahab. All these people to achieve his will. And finally, he uses his own son. He makes his own son fully human in every way so that he can use him. To save his people from his sins. This is the way that God operates. He uses humans. One cannot experience the presence of God if one is not part of the community of believers. You can't say yes to Jesus and no to the church because God uses his people to love and to care for them. God shows up in the way his people love and care for each other. Now, once you get a few years under your belt, you start to realize that you really couldn't do much without a little help from other people. You try things on your own. It's difficult. It's hard. You need some help in your life. And honestly, I don't know where I would be myself if I didn't get help from other people, a little encouragement along the way, a little service, a little sacrifice from people. And I'd imagine that many of you, if you took pen uh, to paper and wrote down all the names of the people that helped you along the way, many of you could probably fill up a sheet of paper. People who have prayed for you, who have written you cards and letters, who have been gracious to you, have served you, have sacrificed for you along the way. This is how God is active in people's lives. Now, this can be a difficult thing, especially if you're a little introverted like myself. You have the tendency to sort of draw yourself away from community. But if you do this, you cut yourself off from the very means that God uses to answer your prayers and take care of your needs you cut yourself off from community, you eliminate the means by which God answers your prayers, takes care of your needs. After Jesus washed his disciples' feet in John chapter 13, he says to his disciples in verse 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. When somebody washes your feet, consider that an act of God. Because no person 
is going to wash your stinky, dirty feet all by himself. It's not going to happen. Okay? That can only be an act of God. Okay? When somebody serves you, that's God. Because if left alone, humans are not going to do that type of work. It's God working through them. So when somebody serves you, just say, that's God. From words of encouragement to letters and cards, all that stuff, that's God working through you. And Alicia and I contest through all those things that this church right here, this community of believers, is a church in which God is active and works through because we've experienced that ourselves. My opportunity to work here wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the care and the generosity of this church. It's a God thing. So scripture and prayer, the church, the community of believers, and also the third thing that I want to talk about today is God works in your life through personal invitation. And this takes place in two ways. Uh, Spiritual gift discovery and what I'll call character checks. Now, spiritual gift discovery, again, can only occur in community within the church. 1 Corinthians 12.7 says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So your spiritual gifts only work, can only be found in community, not in solitude. And God invites you to discover your spiritual gifts through serving the needs of your Christian brothers and sisters. Now, if you are struggling to find your spiritual gifts, or maybe you've never even tried, all you have to do is just practice the art of noticing. Okay, now that sounds easy, but it can be difficult. When you notice the needs of others around you and you respond to them, that is you responding to an invitation from God and an invitation to discover a spiritual gift that you might have. It could be anything from uh, cooking a meal to singing on the praise team, uh, cutting the grass, teaching a children's class, preaching, visiting the elderly. All these things and many more things is how God builds up and strengthens his church through his people. And when you see somebody discovering a spiritual gift, that's God working right there. When somebody uses their spiritual gifts, you see God working. Now, many times an invitation will come when somebody actually asks you to do something. Maybe somebody asks you to say a prayer um, or preach or whatever. Consider this an invitation from God. A positive response on your behalf could lead to a potential discovery of a spiritual gift. That'd be great. A negative response won't get you off the hook. God is going to keep inviting you over and over to serve your brothers and sisters' needs. Many of you can probably look at your own lives and reflect and see how it was God that led you to discover your spiritual gifts. Maybe it was somebody inviting you to go on a mission trip to El Salvador. Or maybe it was somebody asking you to teach a teen class. 
or maybe it was learning how to quilt. All these things were invitations from God. God helped you discover them. God also invites you through what I'll call character checks. That's my own term. That's that's not a biblical term. But these are circumstances in your life in which God tests your ability to do things God's way, not necessarily your own way. It's God's way of sort of sizing you up, seeing what kind of faith he's dealing with. And a positive response here will lead to increased integrity and a more holy relationship with God. It will also increase your responsibility within the kingdom of God. A negative response comes in the form of character failures or lost spiritual battles. Um, Oftentimes they come early on in life, so when when you steal a candy bar, cheat on a test, or disobey your parents, those are failed character checks. Also, they come when you're at a sort of a low point in your life or a transitional period in which you find yourself either trusting God more or turning away from God. This happened to Israel. And Moses knows all about character checks. And this is what Moses tells God's people in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Moses says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. God wants you to choose him. And he's going to keep inviting you over and over in what I call character checks to build a more holy relationship with him. And if you have a few failed character checks in your life, like I do, it's not the end of the road. God will keep inviting you, paving the road to redemption. And you can use those failures in the past to learn and respond positively to God in the future. Moses knew about character checks. Jesus knew about character checks. And in Luke chapter 16... He tells his disciples this. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? This picture right here is a picture of the trash can that sits back in the men's restroom back here. And this is what failed character checks look like. Okay. When you toss your used paper towel towards the wastebasket and you miss, what do you do? That's a character check right there. Now, some of you might think, eh, whatever, that's the janitor's job. But I don't think the janitor made you miss. He wasn't playing basketball with you. So, look, if you can't be trusted to pick up the trash that you threw on the floor, how can you be trusted to serve your brothers and sisters? 
How can you be trusted to love your enemies? If you can't bend over and pick up your trash, how can you pick up, bend over and pick up your brother? Maybe it is that uh, someday you'll bend over and not only pick up your trash that you threw on the floor, but you'll pick up everybody else's trash and put it in the wastebasket. Maybe it is that you will not only love your own Christian brothers and sisters, but maybe you'll start loving your enemies as well. Character checks are both small and large. And when you get good at the small ones, God will give you further responsibility in the kingdom and give you more and more greater things to achieve. Well, if you've fallen in the trap this morning of taking God hostage, you can't find God. You've made, you've made your own decisions. You rely on human reasoning and you don't look to God. I hope I have encouraged you today through prayer and scripture, the community of believers, the church, and through personal invitations to, to start noticing God in your life. And to start listening to God, not your human reasoning, not your friends, not the culture, but God. Fulfilling God's will in your life is a lifetime process. And you can't do it alone. You need help. That's what this group is here for. Our hands will reach out and pick you up. If that's what you need today, I encourage you to come forward. We're going to sing a song. Whatever your needs, please do that now as we stand and sing.